You know, it was fun. What a joy it was. We got to travel around representing the University of Montana. I had all these bright, young, happy, healthy, motivated, funny young women. We just had a lot of laughter together. Almost 30 years ago, a team took the field in Missoula for the first time. This is the story of that season. This is the story of the 1994 Montana women's soccer team. This is the story of the Trailblazers. In the late summer of 1994, a group of young women arrived in Missoula. There were 21 of them, 13 freshmen, 6 sophomores, 2 juniors. They came from all over the West, Seattle, Boise, Colorado, California, drawn by the campus, their young coach, and the chance to make history. My name is Courtney Cosgrove. Uh, it was Courtney Matheson when I played. 94 season, I was a forward, actually. Didn't stay there for my entire career. Um, and I played in Redmond, Washington. So that's how I was first connected with Betsy. I had my heart set on playing for Washington State. Uh, my dad had played football there. Um, he was kind of, you know, big deal quarterback back in his day. And it had, I just was raised a Cougar and I wanted to play there. And they knew that, but I was not offered a scholarship. So I was going to walk on there. And then Betsy called my club coach, Steve Crum. She, you know, just had in inherited the program and was looking for recruits and just asked, hey, do you have anyone who's not committed anywhere that would be worth checking out? And he passed along my name. So I went out and did a visit. I think I brought a VHS tape, you know, like it was back in the day of some, you know, air quote highlights. I mean, she really took a chance on me because she, she never saw me play. And yeah, I took a chance on her too because I called Washington State and said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Montana. And I think that was true of a, a lot of her early recruits. They weren't players that she had seen and cultivated and kept an eye on for a while. She took some risks. Hey, my name is Maggie Carey. Um, I played for the Grizz from the first year, which was 1994 to 1997. I was an outside back, also rode the bench. I owe Betsy everything. She saved me from the University of Idaho. Okay, so I grew up in Boise, Idaho, and I played ODP. And I really, it wasn't until I was in high school when I realized you could play soccer in college. I'm like five foot 11. So I feel like I didn't fit like a traditional mold of like a girl back in like growing up in the 80s and the 90s. And also like I'm super direct, like I'm very bossy. I'm also kind of spazzy, have like a weird sense of humor. And then soccer was this place where all of a sudden like it just it clicked. This sport made sense to me. I knew what to do. I loved my team. I loved playing I also had crushes on every boy in my high school that played soccer. It was just such a part of my life and my identity. But I mean, again, back being from Boise, Idaho, no one I knew had ever played soccer in college. My dream was to try and walk on at Oregon State, but I couldn't afford to go out of state there. So I ended up going to the University of Idaho my freshman year of college. I was a Gamma Phi Beta. I was living in a sorority with like 70 girls when... I got a phone call. And again, this is back in the olden days of the 90s. So there was one landline phone that the whole sorority had to share. And I got on the call and it was Betsy Dirksen. And she said, hey, this is Betsy. Would you be interested in playing soccer for the University of Montana? And I was like, yes, 100%. So it was actually like kind of soul crushing when I ended up going to the University of Idaho. I'd always dreamed of 
playing soccer in college and it wasn't happening. And then when Montana started their program and then I got this call from Betsy, it, it really was like this second chance that I never thought I would have. It changed the course of everything for me. My name is Lisa Lubitic. I mean the name is Oya, so Lisa Oya. I played at Montana from 94 to 97. The way soccer works, like, everyone knows everyone. And I had one game in club, um, and I remember I played, I had a particularly, like, good game. And the coach who we were playing against was a coach at Oregon State. And apparently Betsy had caught in contact with him because she had started the program at Montana and said, like, you know, hey, are there any players out there that haven't committed that I might, you know, that I should be looking at. And my name came up because we just played against them in, in club. And so she got a hold of me. Long story short, I ended up at Montana. I mean, Betsy really recruited me sight unseen, which <laughs> I'm looking back on that. But, it, you know, it worked out well. And I think the first time she actually saw me play in person was a year later. And I remember playing in a game where I was injured. And um, hopefully she wasn't looking at me thinking, oh my gosh, what did I just do? My name is Megan Dehan. Um, I was known as Bart. My maiden name was Bartnetti. And I was on the first few years um, that the team existed at the University of Montana. I think the first thing that I remember is just falling in love with Missoula. I know that when I came over for a recruiting trip, as soon as I got there, I was like, I'm transferring. I'm coming here. There was no doubt in my mind that I was going to come, you know, follow Betsy to the University of Montana. It was so beautiful. And it was really, I think just the, that it was a college town was so different than Seattle U. So for me, it was just a no brainer that I was going to transfer and come and play at the University of Montana. My name is Nikki Grossberg. I'm from Helena, Montana. I was a striker on the Grizz team in 1994 through 97. Throughout my high school career, definitely wanted to play college soccer and was obviously looking to go out of state because there was no college soccer for women during that time. And so I think it was my senior year as that the Grizz team got put into place. Betsy reached out. I think she came and watched a game or two, and we started having some conversation. But it happened kind of late in the time. She had recruited a lot of out-of-state kids, and I think they definitely wanted to have a Montana player. So there was myself and Micah Kirkland, who was out of Bozeman, were both recruited for that freshman team. And Micah went a different path, and I went to tryouts, and that is where it started. I'm Jen McCauley, and I played at the University of Montana um, 94 through 97 seasons. I was a defensive center mid back in the day, sweeper, so all things center and defense related, I guess. I knew Betsy long before she recruited me to the University of Montana. I met her probably my sophomore year when she was interested in me playing for her at Seattle U. And I actually was verbally committed to play at Washington State University. And I guess it was the January time frame in 94 when Bessie called me up, reached out saying, you know, hey, there's this opportunity at the University of Montana. I'm going to start the program. And would you be interested in coming and doing this with me? I adored her from the time that I had spent getting to know her under the umbrella of Seattle U. 
And so it was an easy yes to go explore this opportunity, even though I was verbally committed at the time to WSU. And I remember sitting in the student union building with her and her sitting down and just being so compelling and so convincing that Montana was the right place for me. A couple weeks later, it was signing day and I went with Montana and I went with Montana because of Betsy, because of her vision, because of the person that she was and wanted to be part of helping build a program. That was really a compelling reason to go to Montana. It was unique. And then really it did come down to Some of those players would go on to set records. Some would go on to be legends. When they arrived on campus that summer, all of that was very, very far away. They had just about a month to prepare for their season opener against Gonzaga, the first ever game in Montana Grizzlies soccer history. I still remember the car ride from Boise, Idaho to Missoula with my parents. I was so uptight and so nervous. I don't know if I let them talk to me or not, but both my parents drove me. I remember staying in the dorms. And then two of the first people I met was Courtney Matheson and Lisa Oyen. And I think we all even went and sort of like warmed up and kicked a ball around. There wasn't like a soccer field at the time, so we must have just gone and like passed a ball around on campus, but definitely remember that and just my nerves were through the roof. I just I just didn't know what to expect. Thinking back, I think every August when I start my preseason as a coach, I have such vivid memories of waking up in the dorms and like it being sunny out and Literally the soundtrack playing on my cassette radio, which will date me by even just saying that. And all of it just comes back. And there was, it was so, it was just really fun because you just, again, you, you didn't know what was ahead, but you were excited for what you were doing. What was the soundtrack? Oh my gosh, it was Weezer. It was Weezer's, I think it was their Blue album. And it was... My name is Jonas. It was the first song on that side of my cassette. So my alarm would go off, I'd push play on my cassette, and that was what I'd wake up to. So every time I hear that song, I'm like, oh, here I am in, in Jesse Hall, ninth floor, by myself in a small dorm room, getting ready to go to training. I remember being a little culture shocked with Missoula, having come from the Seattle area. I remember vividly our first day of, of physicals and waiting in line to do the, all the little tests and just kind of nervously looking around at everyone. And I remember meeting Lisa Oyen, who, I mean, we just instantly connected and is still one of my uh, greatest friends to this day. I think the fact that we were all freshmen, right? Like I, Betsy brought over two juniors that redshirted and a sophomore that played. So she started one sophomore and 10 freshmen. So kind of <laughs> an immature, young group of girls. But man, we just, I think, bonded quickly. Maybe some, some trauma bonding because it was pretty intense, too. Obviously, Courtney Matheson blew my mind. She was so good and so fast. Same with Lisa Oyen. And then, of course, Megan Bartonetti, who was also just such a strong personality on the team, even though she was a, a red shirt. And then Sherilyn Fowler. I think Sherilyn easily passed every fitness test, and she sort of she was red shirting and coming from playing two years at Seattle U. So she she was another person who just sort of raised the bar. Like you watched how fit she was and it just 
made it clear how much work I had ahead of me. And then Jennifer Colby, I remember just walking to and from the dorms to the field house with this group. I have very like distinct memories of that. We were so young, big personalities, but just I just remember laughing, like a lot of a lot of humor, a lot of sarcasm for sure, but definitely a lot of nerves that first week because it was very much it still felt very much, even though I came in with a partial athletic scholarship, it felt very much like you could be cut from the team. Intense, intimidating. Being a Montana soccer player, we were, you know, definitely not as advanced as um, Washington, California, other out-of-state areas. So, you know, knew I was playing with a lot of out-of-state kids that had had a lot more soccer experience and background than I did. I think we were all young and new to college world, right? We had a lot of freshmen, and so it was just fairly intimidating. That intensity sprang from the Grizzlies' young head coach. At that time, Betsy Dirksen was just a few years removed from her own All-American playing career at Boston College. In her first head coaching job at Seattle University, she had taken the Red Hawks from one of the worst teams in the country to the NAIA National Tournament. That had taken three years. At Montana, she had a month to take a roster that was almost entirely new to college soccer and turn it into a Division I caliber team. It's all these mostly freshmen. We were young, coming in from all over, and here we have to sort of quickly become a, a Division I college soccer team. So I just remember I was young, but they were young too, and naive and diverse group, and we were very green. It was hot. We trained twice a day. We worked hard. And that's the preseason, like, we put in time. I, I remember that as well. I read this later because I'm a fan of John Wooden and like to follow, you know, what he did to be so successful, the great basketball coach at, at UCLA. He won, what, 10 national championships. I found out later that he was meticulous about his practices, like, to the minute, like, we'll be doing this exercise, my fellow assistant coaches, for seven minutes. Then we're going to transition to this next exercise for... 10 minutes. And he also tried to be like fast paced, keep things moving. And he was like energetic in his compliments. And when I read about what John Wooden did in his trainings, like how meticulous he is in his preparation, I was surprised. Like, oh, I just somehow fell upon that, that that's a good way to do things, to keep the kids engaged. And also with starting a new program, like you want to, from the beginning, set an expectation high of like, these are our values. This is what we do. We come and we work hard. Julie Holmes, who'd played under Dirksen at Seattle and became her first ever assistant coach at Montana, now had the opportunity to see her from a different angle. I think Betsy always had a plan, and I think some of it, you know, just happened organically by how she leads. I mean, she is an amazing leader, and I, she put together the best training sessions, and Everything she did, she was very meticulous, and when she does something, she does not do it halfway. I don't think as a player you would think much about You'd show up to practice, you train, and you wouldn't realize the thought and preparation that goes into that. And Betsy was someone who she would put her heart and soul into a training session. She would look at the team and she would say, we need to be better at this. What can I do to make us better at this? And she would plan a training session. And she wasn't someone who would just go through the motions and move on to the next thing. She would train the team until the team got it right. She cared so much about development and personal growth and team growth. 
it wasn't just, oh, we're going to do this drill and be done. It was, nope, we're doing this. We need to be better. And she would challenge the players each and every day. She was a lot in so many wonderful, challenging ways. She's very competitive. She's very driven. And when you're in it and you just have no perspective outside of that, she was a hard coach to play for in that she had really high expectations. I really do appreciate that, that she pushed us in ways that made us better, you know, and, and challenged us in ways we wouldn't kind of back away when it was just hard and allowed us to be able to navigate through things that were hard and be okay with that. She was also very direct in her communication, which at times was harder to process, but at the end of the day, you knew where you stood. There wasn't a lot of like unknowns or areas where you're not quite sure what she meant or what she was trying to get at. And again, sometimes hard to process when the information was more difficult, but so appreciative of the fact that, you know, she was trying to do the best for us and really give us information that was going to help us become better um, as individuals and as a group. But she was also fun. We like to pull pranks a lot. And we were, like, we laughed a lot, that is for sure. We had a good time. And there were times, you know, she would let her guard down a bit, and you see the, the human side of her and would laugh along with us. Looking back on that now with her ability to be such an incredible coach for us and and leader for us in a really tough situation, at a point when she became a mother for the first time, it was how she balanced that out, I have no idea. Like, that is a super human trait that she has. If coaching a completely new Division One program wasn't enough, Dirksen was also dealing with the challenges of a new family. On August 12th, less than a month before the season opener against Gonzaga, she gave birth to her first child, a son named Justice. I'm serious. When I say it was all a blur, I mean, I had a brand new baby. I don't even remember that first Gonzaga game. And frankly, I just don't remember much of it because I was running back and forth from Fort Missoula back to my house by the university to feed my brand new baby and then running back to Fort Missoula. So I don't really remember much. I'm starting a brand new program in a state that barely even has girls soccer. And then on top of it, I'm about to have my first child. Like I didn't really know how to do either, you know, raise a baby and start a college soccer program in a state that barely had girls soccer. And I took the job. I was just really young and naive, thankfully. That helped, right? That you hadn't done either of those things before and you didn't really know what they entailed. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Or I probably wouldn't have taken the job <laughs> or decided to have a child. Like Doing both at the same time was a little bit of a crazy task. But young people, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, they have such great energy. I look at my son now, the one that I was pregnant with back in 1994, and he's 29 and Sometimes I'm just amazed at his energy, and and he's in the game of soccer, and the energy that he has for the kids that he coaches, for the organization that he's running, his passion for it. Like, people in their 20s and 30s have great energy, and I guess I, I had that. Now, now I'm wiser and smarter. <laughs> now I'm a mother of three girls. Uh, my girls are 14, 11, and 9, and my mind is a little bit blown One, she was pretty young. I think she was 27. So to be in charge of a Division I program, that was pretty rare. Also, there weren't a lot of female collegiate coaches. So 
that alone was just really, how do I even say it? It, it just blew my mind and it, it kind of seemed like anything was possible. But I will say this about once I had my own children and the challenges of like family work-life balance, let alone the physical toll of giving birth, not having any sort of maternity or family leave, and then just jumping right into something that is so athletic coaching. It's like a very physical job. I'm just was like even more impressed with every, everything about her. Now that I'm a mom and knowing what she did while having her family and, you know, raising her kids and sacrificing just the traveling itself, I can't even imagine having kids. You know, there were times when she would bring her son Justice on the road with us and how hard that had to have been. But like, you never knew that at the time. She just did it with a lot of ease and grace and you know, really paved the way for all of us to be, you know, successful working moms. I mean, I think that's what now looking back on it, like I probably didn't realize it then, but just the appreciation and admiration of a working mom and having success on the soccer field for sure is just something really cool. I think that it's worth noting. I was 18 at the time, so it didn't like really register that she was pregnant and starting a new program and how kind of badass that was. But um, so that was like one first impression. And also just that she is, she's very direct. She was super enthusiastic, but also like really upfront. And it just immediately felt like this is a person who means business and, and that I don't want to ever disappoint. That was like first impression. And then of course, cut to tryouts. And again, I was 18, so I didn't really register. She had had a baby, her first son, Justice, uh, one week before we started tryouts. And I just remember at some point she got on the field and played with us. And I had, one, never had a female soccer coach, and two, never had any soccer coach that could play as well as she did. And it was immediately clear that she was the best player on the field, even though she was our coach and we were supposed to be in our prime, I guess. So I was just blown away by her athleticism. And it was something where, again, she just had, I had an instant level of respect for her. And she set high expectations for (laughs) anyone around her. I want to say our two-a-days, my freshman year, started on a Wednesday. And she had a baby, I think, on Sunday. And so we didn't think there was any chance she would be there. But she was, and out on the field, and running the show from the get. Like she, I couldn't imagine a better coach. She was super intense, but in a way that was, for me anyway, very motivating. Um, I had a ton of affection for her. A large part of my motivation was wanting to to make Betsy proud, <laughs> for sure. And again, I think a lot of us felt that way, again, just being so young, all of us freshmen. She was really the one to look up to. I think the one big change was just the level of fitness and intensity of practice and what that looks like. They sent us summer workout plans and, you know, we had done those and I trained hard all summer. But then when you got to the preseason and you're doing the tests and really being held to just a whole nother level, it was exciting. It was hard. And so I remember, you know, the tests, the competitiveness, I mean, it took us a little while to gel. So everyone's still in, you know, kind of competing against each other versus coming together as a team. You know, that took a little time. I thought tryouts were nerve-wracking. 
there were, of course, the fitness tests. And again, I had taken a year off. I was super fit in my senior year of high school. And then I had this year of partying at the University of Idaho and I wasn't training like I had been. And it's still like a regret I carry with me to this day, not coming in as fit as I should have. I still was ahead of the curve because again, there were so many walk-ons. So there were a lot of players that just weren't as good. So I, I still like had my, <laughs> got my scholarship. I had a starting position, but um, those fitness tests were like something I had never had before. The shuttle, the Coopers, the mile. I didn't pass any of them. I don't know that I have a good record of how overwhelming it was, but again, like we just didn't know anything different. And so you went into it and it was what it was. And you have your daily challenges of your schedule and your time commitment. But we were a really close group. And so all of my closest friends had the exact same schedule and sort of demands. And so it didn't seem atypical. This was our first rodeo. Like we had very few people to look to that have done it before. And so we just really rallied around each other and just built a sense of connection and togetherness that was crucial because we didn't have any other connections. There were no upperclassmen that were going to show us the way. We just had to figure it out. And I think that that is really what brought that group together is having to figure it out together and really band around one another. For all the anticipation and preparation, the official start of history for Montana Grizzlies soccer arrived quickly. On September 9th, the Grizz hosted Gonzaga at Fort Missoula. Stacy Forsland, Rachel Criley, Courtney Matheson, and Megan Wheeler all scored in Montana's 4-0 win. And I think we were all pretty naive, for better or worse. The mindset, it's, it's hard to explain because, like I've been saying, it was really intense, but we were a really fun group that bonded quickly and a ton of practical jokes and pranks. You know, we thought we were hilarious. And so it, I don't know, it was like, yeah, going to play your first college game, but with your best friends. It was was pretty cool. I remember before my first game being so nervous, I was sick to my stomach and the trainers giving me these little pills to put under my tongue that I was convinced I needed to calm my nerves before games. And then when I needed them my sophomore year, they told me they were just sugar pills. And so they were this total placebo effect. So I would definitely get nervous. But as a team, I think we, we took it all in stride, too. You know, we just had this really diverse group of young women. Some of them, a couple of them came from the existing club team at University of Montana. And I remember two of them specifically, Courtney Nolte and Katie Fogarty. Those two brought great energy and leadership because they're older. They had already been at the University of Montana. They ended up really being good, positive leaders for the program. And then we had just this diverse group of kids coming from all over. You know, we had kids coming from Seattle. We had internal kids coming from, like Nikki Grossberg was coming from Helena, Montana, but she's a freshman. We had kids coming from Oregon, like Lisa Oyen and Maggie Carey from Idaho. So we were specifically Pacific Northwest, what a great group of kids to start a program with, both in terms of their soccer. Lisa Oyen was a great leader. Courtney Matheson is still the all-time leading points getter for the grid soccer team. Like, here we are 29 years later. She still remains 
the leading scorer. And, oh, Stacey Forslund, like, she's a great, solid player to build your program upon. Courtney Matheson was one of the most graceful, skillful players out there. She ended up, you know, scoring a ton of goals. And I remember her being such a pretty player, and she was an opposite player of me. I remember I used to probably be a little harder and tackle harder, but then I figured out watching someone as graceful as Courtney that maybe she had it right. She was definitely great. Lisa Oyen as well, just a pretty incredible defender. She was fast. She was tough. She was strong. Megan Bartnetti was one of the most competitive people I know. I think she redshirted that first year when she was at Montana, and we did that intentionally to kind of have her train with the team for a year and get their feet under them and then have her join the following year. Jen Colby was another one. She was another great defender in the program, and Courtney and Jen Colby were both from Washington, as was Megan Bartnetti. It was kind of they came from, you know, the soccer community where Betsy and I had been for a while. Stacey Forsland was another one. She was a really talented player. The fort, all the way across town, was the Grizzlies' home for the entire 1994 season. It was a location that came with obvious challenges and subtle perks. Yeah, this game we're going to Fort Missoula. Field wasn't great. Big open space. Didn't feel like a home necessarily. But again, we were just, I mean, we're excited. We're playing college soccer. We're at the University of Montana. Even though we were Fort Missoula that year, it did feel like there was this support in the community. I might be misremembering it because I don't think there were stands. I think it was just people on the sidelines. So it felt a little raw, a little unpolished, just in terms of we were just playing in a public park, not a, a more traditional field. <laughs> like, so that was a little, a little bad news bears, I would say. I remember... We would have this thing where we would go and we would know that if you're the last one to exit the van, you'd have to take the balls. And so we would have this like distraction tactic where we would ask the coach a question right when we got there, thinking that she would forget, she would answer a question and then she wouldn't, she'd forget to ask anyone to bring the balls in. And that was our thing like, okay, let's, let's plan this, right? So when we get there, you guys all leave and we'll distract her and then there'll be no one to get the ball. It's like, that was like always our plan. But I remember going in the vans. I remember one day one of our teammates was late to the vans and we were terrified of being late. That was one thing like you always knew, like you were on time. And if you weren't on time, we didn't even know. We were on time because we're so afraid of what would happen if we weren't. And there's one day one of our teammates was late to the vans and we were almost all in tears because we didn't even know like, that. We thought the world was going to end. Like, oh my gosh, if she's, if she's late, like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, like, I remember, like, pulling away from the Adams Center, like, seeing her running down, you know, with her shade cards. They're like, please wait for her. Let her in the van. She made it. We, it was like the van rides. Like, that was the fun part of it. Um, and I think, honestly, at that point in the 90s when you didn't have cell phones, you have all this stuff, you had these conversations and these experiences in van rides. That is what you remember, and that is how you bonded. When you had to wait for tables because you didn't call ahead for reservations, like, that is what you did. And those are, like, some of the most fun stories of, like, the games we would make up and what we would do to entertain ourselves. We had this game called Snap that we would play. And the rule to Snap is you couldn't tell anyone how to do it. You had to figure it out. And so Snap, anyone like in my class would know what snaps is. So that was one of the things we would do. We would just like play different games. We would, 
I don't know, but we just like make up different things to do. We had this one thing that we would do to drive everyone crazy is on airplanes, if someone was sitting in front of you, we would play this game where we'd like take a piece of paper, a really small piece of paper and put it in someone's hair and then try to take it. The other person had to take it out of their hair without them feeling it. And like, I mean, just like dumb things like this that we would do, but we're so entertaining and we would maybe play like mash or something like that on paper. And just like these little things you would do when you're kind of younger kids to entertain yourself. I maybe push jokes a little bit, like, and never quite sure how things landed with Betsy. So we flew Southwest a lot. So we had a lot of flights and I would like to, on the way home, I used to do the the safety announcement, I would sort of mimic what the flight attendant would do. And we would maybe, maybe someone, I don't know who wore makeup back then, probably Rachel Criley was like the only one who knew how to wear makeup. But someone would give me lipstick and I would like put lipstick on and then kind of just redo the safety announcement or sort of mouth it, I guess, lip sync to what the flight attendant was doing um, on those really fancy Southwest flights. So that was like another time with Betsy where it's like, you got to sort of show her your personality, but it was always, I was slightly terrified, like how that would land with her. I'm not sure if I've copped to this to Betsy yet, but um, she turned 30 that first year and her birthday's on Valentine's Day. And we had this, what we thought was a fun picture of her. And we made all these posters, you know, be sure to wish Betsy Dirksen a happy 30th birthday. And we put them all over the field house thinking it would be fun, little prank, um, good hearted, but that one backfired. <laughs> what I understand, it didn't go over so well. On the field, Dirksen's intensity and competitiveness never wavered. Never mind that, in their first season, the Grizzlies were essentially playing with house money. No expectations. Never mind that they didn't have a Big Sky championship to play for, and wouldn't for several years. Dirksen still had high expectations for her players, on and off the field. We were joking about this over the weekend, but we would take the van from the field house to Fort Missoula. Betsy drove one van and Julie drove the other van. And you really didn't want to be in Betsy's van if practice didn't go well or a game hadn't gone well. So everybody would kind of, without trying to show it, would really try and get there early and try and get into Julie's van. Like that, that was the big thing. One of the funny things that I really think about from that year, I really struggled with the transition personally, academically more so than athletically. Going back to Betsy, she cared more about the whole self, not just about you on the soccer field. And so academics was something that was front and center for her and required study tables. And I actually did really poor my first semester, um, was ill-equipped for college. And she put me on extended study tables into second semester, which really was her expressing like the importance of the academic part of being a student athlete and her seeing I wasn't meeting my potential academically and her commitment to me to focus on that. And I completely turned it around. We lost a game and this might not have been my freshman year, but we lost a game that we shouldn't have at home. And we went in and we watched the game film, and I think it, it really wasn't as devastating as she wanted it to be. We actually played pretty well. We just were pretty unlucky, and they, you know, got a goal off of some girl's face, you know, by accident. 
But man, that week was intense. She only communicated with us through her assistant coach. And there was just a ton of running intensive drills that week. So yeah, she, she could be intense, but I hope I'm not disparaging her because it was a division one athletic program. It's supposed to be intense. And that did, it's interesting that changed over the years. She was not unreasonable. She really had high expectations. I wish I had had her as a coach earlier in my career so that I had learned what proper training looks like, what proper commitment looks like. Because I was always very athletic and worked really hard, but just growing up in Boise, Idaho, didn't have the best coaching or example of the people who came before you to kind of look up to. So Betsy, and maybe it was because she was closer in age to us, felt like the symbol of what you could actually be if you really tried and pushed yourself. After five games at home and three wins to start the season, the Grizz hit the road for the entire rest of the year. The goal was to finish with a winning record. That was difficult and exhausting, and I do remember feeling really homesick during that period. My parents actually went to every game but one that I played all four years, so these Seattle games. I think we even went to my folks' house for dinner for one of those. So things like that helped. And we had a ton of other players whose parents would come to all the games. So that helped. But we were young. You know, our goal for that first season was to have a winning season. Uh, We didn't know how realistic that was. We went to Spokane probably more than once. But just being in the van with the team and these, again, not fancy vans and less fancy than what, you know, like my high school basketball team, we had like a proper bus. It wasn't a van. It wasn't the coaches driving. So I really remember the coaches driving us tight, smelly kind of in the vans. Whether or not we had seatbelts, that's like questionable. Most of the time we were listening to music, a lot of Indigo Girls. Oh man, definitely Pearl Jam. I feel like this was still like grunge, like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, uh, Rusted Root. I know Nikki got us into Steve Earle, Shania Twain. Um, Oh my God, Sugar Ray. A lot of these ended up on our highlight uh, videos that I I was the one who edited and made those uh, produce is like a too generous of a word. But so a lot of those songs are kind of ingrained in everyone's head um, because they ended up being in like the highlight videos. We were singing. I am probably really annoying on those van rides, especially on the way there. Once if we lost or didn't have like a good outcome, then it would be like a very quiet ride or you're just tired or we were doing homework. Um, But a lot of just, I don't know how to say it. A lot of just like definitely bonding. Again, this is college. So a lot of talk about relationships or boys or, you know, whoever people were dating, things like that. And also remember, you know, like landing in airports. I feel like we definitely went down to California, landing in the airport and still like watching Julie, like juggling the travel schedule and things like that. So it it was not fancy is what I remember. And then I also remember per diem, like that was a big deal, how much per diem we got, which was not a lot. And we found out later football got like significantly more money per meal than we ever did. But I do remember per diem and people would like, save their their meal money 
to buy like a pass to snowball. <laughs> so like they kind of take like, you know, five or $10 from every meal, set that aside so they could buy their, their ski pass. Or some people were just like to buy a winter coat because it, you know, it was so cold for the, for the girls who weren't, I was from Idaho, so I was used to it, but so cold for those Seattle girls. And I remember them just like saving money for their Patagonia jackets and stuff. They were just freshmen. So a lot of them were homesick and we would travel, you know, home to Washington. And that was always like a big ordeal because most of them didn't, you know, want to get back on the bus, which was kind of funny because now most of them all live in Montana. And, you know, we would laugh about that. And that was pretty funny now. The first year we were all living in the dorms. We would all get ready, like putting shin guard socks, stuff like that on in someone's dorm room. And Days of Our Lives was always on. So we were always like putting shin guards on to Days of Our Lives. And I love that, like, I don't even know if soap operas exist anymore. And then just having to trudge across campus to the field. And again, just always having those butterflies. I mean, excited to be there, but just kind of always slightly terrified of what practice was going to be like and how much running we would have to do and how disappointed Betsy was in us or not. Sometimes she was nice. So those memories of walking across campus like with the team are pretty special. And then also this was pretty cool. Like we we did get our training gear from the university. However, it was all the old football gear. So our shirts said like football, 1984, things like that. Our socks, our original socks, which I think we eventually, everybody just threw away. They were old football socks. Like they were not soccer socks. We were allowed to have actual soccer shorts. So that was important. But they were Diodora, which is was at the time, like not the cool brand. Everyone else had Adidas. So it was this like balance of like, wow, this is great. They're washing our training gear. But also this is like made for a football player, not for an 18 year old young woman. So everything was oversized and baggy. But the other thing is like, getting back from practice and just being exhausted and then walking with that same group across campus. And again, we were then in, you know, as it got cold, we're in our old (laughs) sweats, which were of course football sweats, but walking across campus as a group hitting, oh my God, what's the cafeteria called? The food zoo, like going to the food zoo together, having a disgusting meal, and then going back to the dorms, knowing that your teammates you were going through this experience together because it was kind of hard for, you know, my dorm mate or things like that for other people on campus to understand what this was like. So just knowing you had your team around you was always very comforting, I think. The Grizz beat New Mexico one to nothing in Albuquerque in their penultimate game of the year to get to 7-7 and with a chance of hitting their above 500 goal in the season finale. The next day, on November 5th, they lost 5-1 to one to Texas A&M to finish 7-8. and eight. I remember that we went 7-8-0, and oh, that we did not have a winning season. So I was disappointed. I've always been disappointed. I think that was my only under 500 season. That's how I remember that season. But I look back at it now and go, we were brand new, and we were playing, like, good teams. And, yeah, we won our first game against Gonzaga. When I went to the Hall of Fame banquet, I read all this in the article that Joel Carson Wrote, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. We actually did pretty well, but that's not how I remember it. I think that first year we were young enough and just so focused on wanting to, to play Division One soccer and do well, didn't recognize the 
impact of this being the inaugural year, Division One for the Grizzlies. That didn't sink in until later. I just remember, like, it was just so exciting because everything was so new and the university welcomed us definitely with open arms. It was exciting. You know, it was a true college campus. The excitement of games and fans starting to, like, realize that, you know, we had a women's soccer program on campus. How exciting it was just to be building, being a part of that program and building it. My teammates were awesome. I mean, honestly, they were competitive. They were inspiring. Everyone had something different. And I feel like we all hopefully had an appreciation for that part of it and and what they brought and their uniqueness. They were fun to compete with. So I don't necessarily think we're like just this group of all-stars. We had some really good players, but our ability to play as a team and what everyone added into that, that really made us successful. I mean, I, I feel like looking back, I played with some incredible players. And again, you know, not if people weren't there, they may not know because of how their name may or may not show up. You know, it was fun. If I look back on those years, I just think like, what a joy it was to we only got to travel around all over the west region of the United States representing the University of Montana and I had all these just like bright, young, happy, healthy, motivated, funny young women that I got to mentor and we were having some success. So the team just had a lot of positive energy. The town of Missoula supported us well, so it felt just we had momentum. Yeah, momentum might be a good word to explain it or positive energy. But it just a lot of the young women were just so fresh and alive and fun. I remember like being on airplanes, traveling with the team and Maggie Carey was just so funny and she would entertain us. Like she'd stand up with the flight attendants and she'd do like the flight attendant, what would you call it, what they say at the beginning of a flight. And sometimes the flight attendants would like let her join in with them because she was doing it so perfectly. Like we just had a lot of laughter together. Next time on Trailblazers, Betsy Dirksen and the 1994 Montana women's soccer team. Looking back on an impact that's gone far beyond one season and a legacy that's lasted for decades. Trailblazers. Betsy Dirksen and the 1994 Montana women's soccer team is a special presentation of Soccer in Snow and Smoke. You can find Soccer in Snow and Smoke on all your favorite podcast platforms. Brought to you by the Missoula Broadcasting Company and Skyline Sports. Visit 1029ESPN.com or SkylineSportsMT.com and click on podcasts to learn more. Recorded, produced, and edited by Andrew Houghton. Voiced by Andrew Houghton and Rhonda Smith. Logo designed by Andrew Houghton and Michaela Badziak.